0: Why do you linger here when there is no hope? There is still hope. Tempted to think there's no hope for overcoming some of the challenges of modern life? Ask an elf. Or a hobbit. Tune in Tuesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. with Milo Lomestown at your service and...
1: Tawny Tenuvial, the resident KUCI Middle-Earth Elf,
0: for What Would Arwen Do? on KUCI Irvine 88.9 FM and streaming live on KUCI.org.
1: The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit kci.org or kcitalk.org.
0: is the Academy Award-winning music of Howard Shore. Welcome to What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine, the greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. You may ask, what is this program? What is this What Would Arwen Do? If a Middle Earth elf lived today in Orange County, California, what might her life look like? How would she celebrate and support the arts, music, her community, and the preservation of Earth, its beauty, resources, and creatures? In other words, what would Arwen do? Some ask, what would Jesus do? Which is a very good question. But on this program, I ask, we ask, what would Arwen do? Who was Arwen? Arwen was an elf princess, the daughter of Elrond, a prince among elves, and Lord of Rivendell, a magical place of healing, lore, and wisdom. Hmm, perhaps not unlike the community here at UC Irvine. Arwen was also a beloved daughter of the universe, as are all the women of this fair celestial home called Earth, or, in Elvish, Arda. I believe Arwen understood the principle of noblesse oblige. With great privilege comes responsibility. She embodied the archetype of a true princess of the light through her courage, wisdom, beauty, her sense of humor, and her service to others. In Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, A Guide to Middle-Earth, Colin Durias writes, In his invented mythology of Middle-Earth, Tolkien intended that his elves were an extended metaphor of a key aspect of human nature. This elven quality in human life was a central preoccupation of Tolkien's. Elves, dwarves, hobbits, and the like partially represent human beings. In Tolkien's mythology, elves represent what is high and noble in humans. In particular, they represent the arts in their highest form, work done in the image of God and his created world. End quote. I believe, we believe, this elven quality exists in every person and yearns for expression through the gifts of creativity, nobility, and service. So, having the incredible privilege of having a public affairs program on KUCI Irvine, 88.9 FM, here on the beautiful campus, the Middle Earth campus of University of California at Irvine, and being friends with an elf... When things arrives that I want to think more deeply about, I like to ask my elf friend, Tani Tanuvial, the question, what would Arwen do? This is Milo Loamsdown, a hobbit at your service, and with me today, as always, is my elf friend, Tani Tanuvial, the resident KUCI Middle-Earth elf. Good afternoon, Tani.
1: Michael Vanden and Sui Lade, dear hobbit.
0: Oh my gosh, we have so much to talk about today, but first of all, we should say welcome to our listeners. Absolutely. We have... So many listeners to thank, first of all, those of you listening live over the frequency-modulated airwaves at 88.9 FM, where KUCI broadcasts in Orange County, California.
1: To most of Orange County, actually. And uh, also, we want to say a very special greeting to those of our friends, Alinda Lee, the Elf Friends and Hobbit Friends, who are listening through the Internet and also who might be listening later on uh, to the podcast
0: So, currently, we are told that on the Internet, we actually have multiple, multiple listeners. And welcome to those of you listening on the Internet at KUCI.org, where you can listen to all of the great programs here, from Subversity with Dan Sang to Film School with Mike Kaspar, wonderful music programs, you just heard Pixelated Harmonies, and... Before that, the great satiric program, George Had a Hat, what a marvelous, (laughs) in some ways strange program that is. But we have so many great things. And you can also listen to us after the fact. Welcome to our people listening to the podcast at KUCITalk.org. Look for What Would Arwen Do? Or you can go to the iTunes Store and search on Arwen. That's spelled A-R-W-E-N. And the iTunes Store will have several hits for you, one of which is the KUCI logo, and it'll say, What Would Arwen Do? Our program.
1: And I would like to say a very special hello to our friends who are listening from Tolkien Online, one of my other favorite communities in this world—it has been such a blessing for me to be a part of the community of passionate people here at KUCI. We are all volunteers here—all over 100 of us who host shows and manage uh, the—you know—manage the things that are going on—and um, so I feel very blessed. And especially because I got to meet you, my dear Hobbit. Here through KUCI, but I'd like to say a special shout out, if I may, to some of my friends on Tolkien Online, uh, theWandering.com, who might be listening from. The wonderful thing, uh, Milo, about the internet is that people can listen in. We can stay connected with people we care about uh, from all over the globe. And Vanna, if she's listening in today, would be listening in from up in Washington, Uh, Scribbles from up in Canada, Roe from down in Escondido, Uh, Rose Morningstar, I believe she's on the East Coast or Midwest somewhere, but it's just a wonderful thing to be able to stay connected and with those that we care about. So a special, um, and Arwen, who I think might be listening up from in uh, Washington as well. So sui Laden, my friends, and thank you.
0: It's a, a beautiful day in the Shire here. Oh, my here. gosh. Just uh, unbelievably uh, not too hot, not too cold.
1: I know. They said that the weather's going to be warming up a little bit, uh, although <laughs> I think by many standards we haven't had exactly cold weather. But it's been, I feel like it's been a bit cold. Uh, it's been a bit of a challenge to go walking under starlight for this elf without having to get completely bundled up. So today it was nice to be able to run around without a jacket on. And... uh Feel the sun on my face and uh, the wind in my hair.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! Yes, the sun is so beautiful and so much coming um, coming down on us to make the beautiful vegetables, and yes. potatoes oh, the other and broccoli. Night, was it-
1: It wasn't last night. It was the night before last, where we had that wonderful rainstorm, and there was thunder and lightning and pouring rain. I love it when we hardly we don't have lightning too often here in Southern California, but it's really wonderful when we have some, you know, some real weather
0: <laughs> and it was a, a really quite a heavy rain sunday I know. evening
1: washed everything clean the trees were all dancing and singing and sparkling the next morning and all the little bushes and green grasses popping up so it was it was really quite delightful i wanted to say also um that today for those who are listening in that we are having a special edition show today that will be going over two hours instead of just our regular one hour. Oh my gosh, what happened to, to the
0: Blue and Gold Report?
1: <laughs> well, the Blue and Gold Report, which is the radio show uh, highlighting athletics here, um, athletics and sports here at uh, UCI, is on a little break for the winter. So they'll be coming back in January, but in the meantime, um, We'll be doing some other things the second hour from 5 to 6, and today, uh, actually today and next week, we will be extending and having a special two-hour edition of What what I Would Do. We have some wonderful things lined up for next week, Uh, some things I haven't even had a chance to discuss with you, my dear Hobbit. But today, we will be having some very special in-studio guests, at least in the uh, second hour from 5 to 6. A Cub Scout tour. Now, we know that um, hobbits, not necessarily liking adventures, do get convinced into adventures. But uh, Cub Scouts are pretty much up for adventures and, as are elves. So um, that will be a lot of fun going on in the second hour or so. But we hope that our listeners will be able to stay with us for the full two hours today. And we have some wonderful readings and music and all kinds of fun things to share.
0: Wonderful stuff.
1: So first off, we usually do our movie news, right?
0: Oh, my gosh. And is there music, movie news today? It's unbelievable. Um, You know, one of the key, key countries in the world today, everyone knows of New Zealand as a filmmaking country because of the efforts of Peter Jackson. In the mid-90s, he did a number of what you would call, I guess, for lack of a better word, horror movies. (laughs) Um, and then he made The Lord of the Rings there Mm -hmm. and then he made other films there and he inspired and produced other films yet so New Zealand, this small country uh, small in population, large in natural beauty Mm -hmm. but New Zealand has become really one of the key centers in filmmaking of the world all of a sudden in the last... 10, 15 years.
1: Yes. It's very um, interesting because one of my favorite bookstores, in Newport Beach uh, Library used bookstore, has this wonderful, as you can see, very large book. Uh, oh, my gosh.
0: We can't name prices, but if you folks listening are <laughs> in the Orange County, California area, or really anywhere, go to your friends of the library, wherever it may be, and browse their bookstore. You can get some. This is a fabulous quarto-sized picture book just a lovely lovely picture book and and the elf princess got it tani you got it for i mean i can't mention prices but it was like the minimum price that one could imagine
1: well it's uh, the prices say if you were to go to what's that store chain called the 99 cent stores this book might have been found there
0: <laughs> that's enough of that but tell us about your beautiful book.
1: <laughs> yes, the new, um, this is called it's called This is New Zealand, and it's not a recent book.
0: When it's, was it published?
1: This was published in 1981 or 82. It actually doesn't say. I scoured the whole thing looking for a publication date, but I got some clues from reading in in the in the text. But there's one uh, section, and this is actually a book about. Um, it's 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 called This is New Zealand American Edition, and it's really a book about. Um, New Zealand and America. So it has a lot of parallels of things that are going on and um, aspects of both countries uh, that are appealing. It's very interesting, though, I found interesting, at least, that there's a section here about New Zealand becoming, uh, having to do with the, f- the world film industry. Um, in fact, it begins with New Zealand becomes a vast stage set for the world film industry, matching authentic material and settings with a high level of technical expertise for results acclaimed by filmmakers and audiences alike. And so this is a small chapter. And it starts with, New Zealand has a new feature film industry and the news is spreading fast. Now, when this book was published, uh, this next paragraph kind of gives you a little clue. says, when a member of the crew of the American TV series came Dallas came to New Zealand for a recent vacation, her first call was to the offices of the newly formed New Zealand Film Commission. We've been hearing all about New Zealand movies in Texas, she said. I just had to find out what's going on. And it's interesting because we go on and it tells about some of the history of filmmaking in New Zealand. But uh, it mentions also that uh, between 1940 and 1970, only four features were made in that country. Four feature films within 30 years. Filmmakers had to work abroad if they wanted to develop their careers. But by 1970, with, it, with New Zealand television a decade old, opportunities began to increase. There was only one real problem. In a country of three million people, the domestic movie-going market was not large enough to give filmmakers a solid base in their home territory. When the government established the New Zealand Film Commission at the end of 1978, it, rec- it recognized that some state support was needed in order to set up a viable new industry. And it talks about how growth is rapid. And it's interesting because it goes on to say in this last paragraph here, and again, this was published in 1981 or 82, long before uh, Peter Jackson was doing anything wonderful over there. says, the excitement of the New Zealand film industry is summarized in the latest annual report of the Film Commission. Three years ago, I quote, three years ago, the film industry was depressed and few opportunities existed for talented filmmakers to work in a freelance capacity. Today, there is a feeling of enthusiasm. Work opportunities are expanding as the level of production increases. The existence of the commission and the stimulus which it is giving to filmmaking and its associated fields of creativity are enabling projects to be developed which could not otherwise be considered. And so... The rest is, as we say, history.
0: <laughs> exactly right. And I first became aware of New Zealand being a place for cinema as a longtime movie fan. Mm-hmm. Milo is a longtime movie fan and movie observer. I first became really aware of the power of New Zealand with the piano. Jane Campion's ah, great film of 1993, of which won the Palme d'Or, the the golden palm leaf the mm-hmm. the top prize at the Cannes Film Festival in the French Riviera, one of the most respected, if not the most respected, film prizes, and that was just that was just a fabulous film, and then the the uh, next film that drew my attention was a minor film by an unknown director called Heavenly Creatures mm-hmm. was the name of the movie. Uh, it's sort of a crime romance. Directed by Peter Jackson. Hmm. And I said, that's that's interesting. It had some very interesting things in it, although the script, I thought, was not sterling. <laughs> <laughs> but it had some very interesting, interesting things visually. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we know six years after that, boom, there's Peter Jackson, picked by New Line, I thought a mistake at the time, <laughs> making Lord of the Rings. But in fact, he became... Uh, equal to the task, yeah. and really absorbed the task. And even did, he with his writing partners did tremendous work. The most famous to us is the scene where Glorfindel rec- rescues Frodo from the Black Riders. But in fact, in the movie, it's not Glorfindel that rescues Frodo, it's... Arlen. Yes.
1: And he, he I I really appreciated that Peter Jackson... Even though that was not in the books, uh, I feel like it could have been. You know, it it if if Arwen had been sent, it could have exactly played out like that. There was not anything that was out of character. I I believed, um, and but I also really appreciated uh, Peter Jackson bringing um, f- some of the female roles, feminine roles to the forefront. Uh, whereas in you know in the Lord of the Rings, you know there, there's not they kind of have a little bit of a background even you know even gladriel to to some extent i mean the movie is about the hobbits and the quest and you know the the story is about the the ring you know the lord of the rings and the the quest to unmake the ring but uh, i i loved every bit of every scene that it. <laughs> i just i loved the treatment of it <clears throat> so and the
0: treatment was was truly excellent when you look at fran walsh Philippa Boyens mm. and Peter Jackson. I mean, really, he was outnumbered two to one in some sense. <laughs> well, But I that change, that change uh, to Arwen was just apocalyptic to those of us that were so familiar with the books, had read them so many times over the decades. And then to see that up there, and initially I was shocked. And then I said, oh, my gosh, I'm awfully afraid, Professor. This may be better than the original. <laughs> It's interesting, at a minimum.
1: Mm-hmm. So, do we have some uh, movie news now? You know, what would Arwen do? Is an Elvish and Hobbitish perspective on life and the things that concern us. But we like to stay up with what's going on with the our upcoming movies, uh, our upcoming movies, the two movie edition of The Hobbit. So, do you have some news for us this week?
0: Oh yes, The Hobbit Part One and The Hobbit Part Two. Hobbit Part One scheduled to be released in November of twenty twelve. Just uh, less than two years from now, what a joyous and wonderful time that's going to be. Well, um, there's so much to say. First of all, Sylvester McCoy, who is famous from Doctor Who, Mm -hmm. British television in the 1960s, excellent uh, British actor, who said once, I don't relax. I sit down and contemplate all the energetic things I should do. (laughs) (laughs) But Sylvester McCoy is all but confirmed. He's still listed on IMDB.com as rumored, but basically I would say that he is a done deal, As, as much as Martin Freeman is for our new Bilbo. And speaking of quotes, Martin Freeman was quoted as saying, and I love this as a fellow hobbit, He's, he's quoted as saying, I've got a stag weekend coming up, and I've said, I'm not doing anything more than a few drinks. I won't have it. I'll go home and watch Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> oh. And he said, I've never been to a festival. I'm a creature of habit, mashed potato comfort. I like rugs. And that is just so hobbitish. And he said that. He's quoted as saying that before he auditioned for the role of Bilbo. Hmm. All right, so basically the other big news is that Ian McKellen has updated his personal uh-huh. website to say about things again on IMDb, which is sort of authoritative. It's not final, final, uh-huh. but he's talking about release dates. He's talking about having read the script and oh. filming and everything. So that is a wonderful thing. And a wonderful quote. I, I was looking at quotes this weekend mm. on IMDb.com. we and we have a little bit of a holiday theme coming up in the re- in, in, later in the show. This is What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine. He says, quote, this is from 2003 when he was living at the Intercontinental Hotel, right, in Wellington, because he was filming, you know, Lord of the Rings. He says, quote, it's like several Christmases all come at once. They all love Gandalf, but I'm like Father Christmas in the shop. I'm not the real one. <laughs> and it's interesting because if he isn't the real Gandalf, I don't know who on earth is. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just, just amazing, just amazing. Which
1: we'll be hearing a little bit more about that uh, in a reading from the Yes, Hobbits.
0: and there's another quote uh, from him about adventures. This it's is Ian McKellen. Is, yes, Ian McKellen, Sir Ian McKellen, talking about being paid for film. He says. Mm. quite down low on the list is how much am I going to be paid I'd say I was quite cheap but my main feeling about money is that I don't want to feel as though I'm being taken advantage of certainly I'm cheaper than Anthony Hopkins the other actors they asked to play Gandalf wouldn't go to New Zealand on that money for that length of time I thought it would be a bit of an adventure Mm. Tony Hopkins didn't think it would be an adventure Tony is part of Hollywood I'm an eccentric English actor, and there's a lot of us around.
1: (laughs) Oh, I love that. And we are so glad that he was willing to go.
0: And have an adventure.
1: And have an, not just do a film, have an adventure. You know, that is a very good point.
0: (laughs) The other thing to mention, uh, here's something practical. Now, I know you as an elf are not that interested in money, but a very important thing happened on December 2nd. It was reported that the MGM bankruptcy plan was approved. Oh, by hurrah. the judge, the federal judge overseeing the reorganization plan. Less than a month, less than a month after it filed for Chapter 11, the reorganization was approved by Judge Jew- Stuart Bernstein of the Federal Bankruptcy Court in Manhattan. So. This is good news. This is very, very good news. This means basically it is a done deal. It'll wipe out all the debt. It'll reorganize the company. The spyglass folks are mm-hmm. coming in to manage it. And. We don't care that much about James Bond on this program. However, the James Bond film franchise is now back in gear for a 2012 release, perhaps.
1: Well, I like James Bond. It's, uh, it's certainly, a uh, those movies contain a lot of adventure.
0: <laughs> now, casting news you're always interested in, and I don't uh? have anything else on the big roles, but a very good Swedish actor by the name of Michael Persbrandt is cast in The Hobbit. We don't know exactly what role he's going to play, mm. uh, but the Swedish paper uh via the One OneRing.net, which is one of my favorite sites on the Internet, reports that he has joined The Hobbit. He's popular in Sweden, but sort of unknown over here. Mm. He is known most, uh, most famously, perhaps, for Everlasting Moments. And he has Nordic ties. Fans are speculating as to what he might be hired for. When you look at him, you could say he looks like the master of Lake Town Or Bard the Bowman, one Mm. of those. I think he looks quite a bit like Bard.
1: Mm, Interesting. So that's wonderful. We still have no confirmations yet of even one female role.
0: We do not have a single confirmation of a female. We know that women have been auditioned and presumably accepted as extras. That is, Mm non-speaking mass crowd scenes of Hobbits where they had those I don't know, five, six hundred people that were Mm -hmm. auditioning for Hobbit roles. There were women Hobbits, right? Hobbit wives, presumably. Hobbit uh, girls being interviewed mm-hmm. for those roles, but as far as actual speaking parts,
1: yeah.
0: none have been officially cast yet.
1: Well, it would be very interesting because uh, the company does uh, end up spending some time in the last homely house, which is in Rivendell, and uh, Arwen, although at the time Aragorn would have only been, I think, uh, six or seven. Quite young, Arwen being several thousand years old at the time, she would have been, unless she were off on um, visiting her uh, grandmother in Lothlorien, would have been around during that time. So she might have. There might have been even, you know, some behind the, you know, things going on in Rivendell. So there's places for women to, you know, to make their presence known. Absolutely, the
0: absolutely. There's absolutely no reason. As a matter of fact a dramatic device that could be chosen is Arwen happening to meet Bilbo in that time when Bilbo's at the last homely house at, at, at Rivendell. Right. There's a brief time there, right? We know that Elrond, in the books, right. it meets with the, the, uh, the party that Gandalf's leading. However, there's no reason why Arwen could not have met him and talked with him. And from that... Realized, you know how precious these little people, these halflings, were.
1: Right there, there is absolutely no reason that that might not have happened. Um, And there's nothing that I can think of in the Hobbit or in the Lord of the Rings that indicates that Bilbo had not met her during that time. Now, Frodo obviously wouldn't have known about her, but he oh. But I think he knew of her, which Frodo, the only way Frodo could have known of her would have been from hearing it from Bilbo. Yes. Yes. yes.
0: So, and there's one other piece of news just briefly before we get on the other part of the program. The star of a very famous uh, foreign TV series, the uh, star Aidan Turner, is about to get his big break. His nabbed the Coveted role in The Hobbit, the big budget Big blockbuster, as they describe it. Mm -hmm. He's from Dublin, and he played uh, Amy Huberman's love interest, Daisy, in that hit show. So at this point, there is, again, they're being very cagey. Mm -hmm. They're not announcing what role Aidan Turner is going to have. Mm. But uh, he will probably be one of the elves because he looks... He looks like an elf prince, really, to me.
1: Wonderful. Well, lots of interesting things to speculate about and and more wonderful things to discover as time goes on.
0: We're in the holidays, elf princess, we changing are. subjects. This <laughs> is What Would Arwen Do on KUCI Irvine, the greatest radio station in the history of Middle Earth. And, elf princess, you had a sentiment that you shared with me earlier today, which is very, very important in this holiday time.
1: Absolutely. And... Um, I thought also we would have a little bit of music, and I thought it might be to kind of celebrate the holiday season. This isn't technically a holiday song, but I think many of us are familiar with that song by, um, uh, from I believe it's from The Sound of Music, uh, My Favorite Things, and our friends the Prancing Pony Players have made a Lord of the Rings version of My Favorite Things. And I thought just to kind of give us, because for some reason that song seems to be played quite a bit around the holidays. It, it reminds me of the holidays for some reason. And so I thought it might be uh, wonderful for us to play something, um, talking about, just to get us in the mind of the holidays as before we get into our next topic of discussion.
0: Just a really fun and lovely song. This is My Favorite Things by the Prancing Pony Players.
1: and hobbits digesting, elf lords and councils and fellowships questing, Valrond to flame and a sword we sting. This is why I like the... No more movies, no more escrows, now it's finally done. But we can re-watch them again and again, and try to relive. absolutely delightful the prancing pony players and i was so blessed to get to see them perform this and some of their other songs at the i believe it 2006 Tolkien can Science Fiction Convention thing <laughs> that was up in Anaheim and got to meet them and actually interview them here on What Would Arvin Do? I think, I think it's probably somewhere back in the podcast, but just delightful, delightful talented Wonderful,
0: folk. and the whole the entire album is just so delightful. Mm-hmm. The Prancing Pony Players. Yes. And I have not been able to find it on the internet, Elf Princess, so <laughs> this may be uh, a band that Came together and disbanded. We don't know, but I, I hope that they're somewhere. Uh, um, well, I
1: the know they're all various
0: friends. URLs yeah. I've tried yeah. just don't work.
1: <laughs> okay, well we'll have to will we'll have to, do, to look have to and do some, some research. Or maybe I'll
0: send an Tolkien online yeah. at the One Probably one of those message boards will have the full details on them.
1: So we are, my dear Hobbit, uh, moving into the holiday season. We want to say a special greeting out to all of our friends who are celebrating Hanukkah during these uh, days. I believe this is the seventh or eighth day of Hanukkah, is it not? So shalom to our Jewish friends.
0: That's right. And we have other holidays coming up. And next, next week on the program, we'll be saying a special hello to our Muslim friends who are celebrating a holiday this month and there's a postage stamp for that holiday, as well as, of course, next week will be our annual Christmas show, and we will have some wonderful things.
1: Yes. Well, today I wanted to talk a little bit about the holidays and about being mindful. I think elves most certainly like to practice mindfulness, which, what is mindfulness? It's kind of like doing things with intention rather than just doing them automatically without thinking about them or without being mindful that we're doing them. And I think a lot of times we have... Um, even traditions or things within our family or, or the things that we do that we never really stop to kind of stop and take that out of being transparent to us and bring it into the forefront and say, is this working for me? Is this behavior that I'm doing or this choice that I'm making? Um, a lot of times, you know, patterns in our behavior, they become just kind of invisible to us and yet they don't, they no longer serve us. And I think that this can be the true also with certain types of traditions uh, whether it's from our families or through our culture and um, it was interesting because I heard a friend of mine recently uh, talking to her daughter and the subject was the nephew had um, this person you know wanted to know what everybody wanted for Christmas and the nephew had said he wanted this you know head uh, stereo thing which cost about two hundred dollars and so um my friend was asking her uh, daughter how perhaps she could maybe get it for less. And it just kind of made me think, you know, where did this tradition come from even of telling people what we want <laughs> for Christmas? And I thought, didn't it kind of start with, uh, especially like if you think of the story of Jesus, the, the Magi brought gifts, you know, of appreciation to this to this child. Uh, they didn't ask Jesus what he wanted. <laughs> and But I thought, well, it must have come from somewhere, and, and then I thought, well, oh, I, it probably came from this idea of, of Santa Claus, which is a, a cultural tradition as well, that um, and probably in the stores, you know, where people would go, sit on Santa's lap, and tell them what they wanted for Christmas. But somehow, it went from telling Santa what they would like to have for Christmas, and they would hope to get if they were a good boy or girl, and to where now we tell other people in our families what we want to have for Christmas, rather than just appreciating uh, you know, a, a gift that is given from the heart. And I thought, you know, how, for how many of us is this, um, an unintentional thing, kind of a transparent tradition, perhaps? So I'm reading right now, my dear Hobbit friend, this wonderful book by Ellen Langer called On Becoming an Artist Reinventing Yourself Through Mindful Creativity. And in this book, uh, a little bit about Ellen. She is a social psychologist uh, whose work on mindfulness springs from a Western scientific perspective. So a lot of her concepts seem to be like, oh, like Eastern or, you know, Buddhist thought, that type of thing. But she actually is Western scientifically trained. Uh, Ellen J. Langer is the author of two bestselling books, Mindfulness, which has sold more than 150,000 copies in 13 languages, and The Power of Mindful Learning. Langer is a professor of psychology at Harvard University, and she is uh, the recipient of, among other things, the Guggenheim Fellowship, the Award for Distinguished Contributions to Psychology, in the Public Awareness and from the American Psychological Association, and the Award for Distinguished Contributions of Basic Science to the Application of Psychology. So this book, uh, which it seems like... Um, that it's about becoming an artist, but it really is about mindful creativity. And she covers everything from just introducing mindfulness into what you do, giving yourself permission to take up something new, which you know kind of has something to do with having an adventure. Um, but also about she addresses things like the tyranny of evaluation, evaluating is it good, is it not? Do other thing other artists think that this is you know good? And, um, but underlying it all is this sense of mindfulness. And so, my dear Hobbit, I was thinking today, do you, um, about as we discussed on Thanksgiving, you know, considering whether or not eating turkey was something that you needed to do or wanted to do just because you'd always done it. And both of us have had adventures in that arena, have we not?
0: Yes. uh, This year, for the second year in a row, I had no turkey on Thanksgiving, and I had plenty of food, (laughs) let me assure you, (laughs) Elf Princess. This hobbit belly was plenty full. And yet, I wasn't tired. I was not drowsy. Mm. And that's sort of important when you're driving these new-fangled carriages called automobiles
1: right so your mindfulness and choosing to break with tradition uh, resulted in a new adventure for you and discovering something you know? yes
0: yeah. and, and and discovering something important which is that you can have an adventure and not suffer that you can have an adventure <laughs> and really be better off for it as a result
1: well and for just making a different choice than the one that you've always made so That's what I kind of wanted to talk about today with regard to mindfulness for the holidays. And, you know, I've mentioned at different times about, you know, instead of going out and running up a big credit card bill, maybe think about, you know, buying a tree or something like that, you know, honoring someone with just a gift from the Arbor Day Foundation, a card that will be sent to them for less than the price of a couple of lattes where they would get a a beautiful greeting, uh, from a sustainable card and a tree would be planted in, that, um, in the honor of that person and um, I wanted to mention too just for our listeners perhaps uh, Milo to remember those this holiday season who may have lost loved ones uh, this past year um, The holidays are always a very difficult time, even if it's been, you know, like, say, last summer or something. Um, the holidays bring a lot of times that pain to the forefront because of the absence of that loved one. So um, I'd really like to encourage our listeners to ha- extend a special grace to anyone they know or, or to themselves if there's a, a significant loved one who is not present for the holidays this year.
0: Yes, it's very important, I think, primarily from. Pr- Important to not be alone. So if you know someone who suffered uh, a, a significant loss of a loved one, go visit that person. Talk to them about Christmas or Hanukkah or the Eid festival if you're Muslim. But uh, visit them, talk about the season, or talk about them. the weather, yeah. invite them into your home or invite them out for a coffee.
1: Yeah, Even if they don't come, it will mean a lot to them that several people invited them and cared enough to invite them to come and join their festivities. Uh, even if they decline, you know, it's it's the thought that counts. And I w- with regards to starting a new tradition, if you have lost someone special, if you know someone that's lost someone special, a new tradition that you might start is to um, each year purchase a tree from the Arbor Day Foundation that will be planted in their honor. And, um, or maybe, uh, purchase an Arbor Day, uh, membership. You know, renew your membership. Each year you get sent tw- ten trees or you could have ten trees planted in a forest. You could do this in the memory of that wonderful person. It could be a new tradition in your family to take, it won't take the place of their presence, but a way to honor them. And um, now they're no longer here.
0: Of course, if you yourself have suffered a loss, one of the things that I've seen work so well in my life is to volunteer. That is, Absolutely. get out and help people that are hungry or homeless, disadvantaged, disabled. There are many people that would love to just see a smiling face or a warm hello, and you'll be surprised that you end up receiving more than you give them.
1: Right. And so today I wanted to talk a bit about mindfulness, a very elvish characteristic, I believe. And um, again, just kind of bringing being intentional about not only the way we live each day, but the way we celebrate our holidays and our festivals and seeing that the things that we're doing, we're doing with intention and that they're still working for us maybe decades after we've been doing them, especially those of us who are a little older. And it's like just because uh, we always cut off both ends of the ham, uh, you know, That was what our whole family always did for generations, only to find out that it was because it wouldn't fit in the pan one year. (laughs) But we kept doing that because, well, that's what we do. We always cut off both ends of the hem. So um, I wanted to read a little bit from Ellen J. Langer's book, On Becoming an Artist. And uh, these are just a few selective readings. um, And... I'm going to start with a reading from the beginning, which which is the chapter, A Life of Mindful Creativity. And it starts with a wonderful quote from Pierre Bonnard. And this quote says, What attracted me was less art itself than the artist's life and all that it meant for me, the idea of creativity and freedom, freedom of expression and action. I had been attracted to painting and drawing for a long time, but it was not an irresistible passion. What I wanted, at all costs, was to escape the monotony of life. And so Ellen writes, all of us have had the experience of being totally engaged in something, a movie, an afternoon of of adventure, or a new love affair, and like Bernard, we seek lives steeped in such experiences. Bernard found creative engagement in painting and lived a rich life that many dream of and most consider the realm of only a few special, talented people. That belief, however, is wrong. Complete creative engagement in all that we do is the natural response to our world. It need not be extraordinary at all. It is, in fact, the experience we have when we are at play. Whether it's at play or in a more serious pursuit, if we approach the opportunity at hand creatively, we will experience such engagement In the best of all worlds, a life of total engagement would be the norm. Although in reality, too many of us don't see the opportunity before us. What's more, we seem to do everything possible to prevent it from happening. And so here we're talking about perhaps choosing a new tradition. She's talking about creativity, but I think many of the same things apply here. She says engaging our creativity um giving it a form that holds some innate interest ought to be part of everyday life for each of us. She goes on to say that mindfulness is an effortless, simple process that consists of draw, drawing novel distinctions, that is, noticing new things. Like for yourself, you noticed when you mindfully, intentionally didn't eat turkey that you felt just as good and in fact, even better. Is that right?
0: That's exactly right. I felt better. It was a surprising thing. It was a very, very interesting result, shall we say.
1: And before the last couple of years, had it ever actually occurred to you to think about maybe foregoing adopting a turkey instead of eating one?
0: I was not mindful, <laughs> Elf Princess. This <laughs> hobbit just basically ate whatever was before him without even thinking about it. And now, I mean one of the side benefits is, as I'm being careful not to have any turkey, I am actually looking at the buffet table and maybe even making uh, more informed choices about what I do eat. I mean, Mm. I wouldn't say that I'm going healthful or vegetarian, heaven knows, but uh, it certainly allowed me to become more aware of what food I was having and make sure that I really chose things not out of tradition or force of habit, but because I loved the way they looked or I loved the way they smelled,
1: and it enhances the experience. It's funny, before I read um, further from Ellen, I'd like to read a little something from C.S. Lewis, the C.S. Lewis ex- uh, encyclopedia. One of the, my favorite concepts of C.S. Lewis's is the concept of the veil of familiarity, which the veil of fam- familiarity is just where this something becomes kind of fam- so familiar to us that we don't derive the joy from it anymore. Like, for me, I live by the back bay in Newport Beach, and I, with intention, Every time I drive past the back bay, I am mindful of it and say, oh, my gosh, I'm so grateful that I get to see this beautiful back bay, this beautiful estuary uh, every time that I drive home. Uh, but you have to consciously taking, take it out of that familiar realm wh- where it just becomes in the background. But uh, C.S. Lewis says, the value of the myth is that it takes all of the things we know and restores them to the rich significance which has been hidden by the, quote, veil of familiarity. He says the child enjoys his cold meat, otherwise dull to him by pretending it is buffalo, just killed with his own bow and arrow, and the child is wise. The real meat comes back to him more savory for having been dipped in a story. You might say that only then is it the real meat. By putting bread, gold, horse, apple, or the very roads into a myth, we do not retreat from reality, we rediscover it. We take away that veil of familiarity. In fact, one of my other favorite quotes by uh, G.K. Chesterton says that we should occasionally take our tree in the tops of trees. Um, oh, I can't remember how the rest of it goes. <laughs> but it's, it's about, again, about, you know, just bringing things out of being so familiar. So... Um, did I, uh, did I read this part? Okay, mindfulness is an effortless, simple process that consists of drawing, no- drawing novel distinctions, that is, noticing new things. The more we notice, the more we become aware of how things change depending on the context and perspective from which they are viewed. Mindfulness requires, however, that we give up the fixed ways in which we've learned to look at the world. Most of us confuse the stability of our mindsets with the stability of the underlying phenomena. And we come to think that things are, will always be, and even need to be a particular way without realizing or recognizing how they may also vary. So it's kind of like we just say, well, this is the way we've always done it, and this is the way I'm always going to do it. So the last part I want to read here, there's so much wonderful stuff here, but she has a little uh, story here about... um, One of her own experiences, she says, in the power of mindful learning, I wrote about one example of my own mindlessness that I'm particularly fond of. I was at a friend's house for dinner and noticed that the table was set with the fork on the right side of the plate. I felt as though some natural law had been violated. The fork, quote, goes on the left side. Anything else just felt wrong. I felt this way in spite of the fact that I could imagine many reasons why it might be better for the fork to be placed on the right. I thought about how I learned this rule. I had never learned a rationale for the best way to set a table. Rather, when I was a child, my mother simply told me that the fork goes on the left. From that day forth, I have been destined to put it there, no matter what the circumstances might suggest doing otherwise. But was this the best place for a fork? Why do I care where the fork is placed anyway? I had become trapped, unaware that what I had learned about setting tables was locked in place forever. And so wow. it is sometimes for us. And so I guess today my thing is it's wonderful for us to buy presents. We want to stimulate the economy and all of that. But let's be mindful um, and maybe, maybe just think about this year being a little more mindful about the things that we do this year. If we really don't like uh, spending January, February, and March trying to pay off those credit card bills for the gifts that we bought in December, why not give ourselves permission to start a new tradition of gift-giving this year and, and see if that works better for us?
0: And and really, it will be much more meaningful for the person if you actually think about what they would enjoy. Think about what might be better for them and not focus on the price of the gift so much. Really make it more about the person receiving it. If you're going to be into gift-giving, it should be, mindfully, it should be with awareness and focus on the person and not just do it automatically. And really, even with children, I know there are many children that would enjoy getting just one gift.
1: Right. That's instead what of toys have, have for seven. tots is
0: all about instead of seventeen or seventy. <laughs> right. But right. just you know, one one toy, one gift that's really focused on that child himself or herself would be a very, very great, wonderful for the child.
1: And being mindful, too, that uh, many people have had changes in their economic situations. Maybe grandma, who used to be able to, you know, buy us anything we wanted and several presents, maybe grandma's, uh, you know, some, you know, her financial situation has changed the last couple of years, and it's a strain for her to buy expensive presents, or your parents even, and um, maybe just, you know, again, just... Being mindful about the way that we celebrate, whether it's from uh, deciding whether or not we actually need to have meat to be satisfied when there's lots of other sources of protein to whether we need to go in debt over gift giving or whether we need to be stressed out because we feel obligated to accept every party invitation that we get. Being mindful about our holidays and choosing ways to bring more joy and uh, connectedness and love. And you'll, into the season of peace <laughs>
0: and and you'll find your stress reducing instead of increasing
1: absolutely so anyway that's there's so many it, it, and I love the holiday season it's just um, I guess I've decided that I'm going to enjoy holiday seasons now for, for whatever they bring instead of being locked into having to do them a certain way and, and that way being the way that I've always done them in the past
0: well, elf princess, you're not going to believe this, but our <laughs> show, our program is almost at an end. We should remind The first
1: part of our program.
0: The first part today we have a two-part program. Yes. Another hour will be upcoming. We should remind them our listeners that if you wish to comment on the program or ask the elf a, a question, make a comment, give us advice. Let us
1: know you're there.
0: Let us know you're there. You can send an email to askanelf at yahoo.com. That's A-S-K-A-N-E-L-F, askanelf at yahoo.com. And the elf princess will read it, and Tani may well reply to you as well.
1: Well, I especially want to invite our listeners to stay tuned for the second hour because the Hobbit will be doing a reading for us, and I know there are... At least several, quite a few of our listeners who, as I do, love the Hobbit's voice and love to hear him reading, especially from our favorite books. And you have graciously agreed to read a selection having to do with adventures from uh, one of the uh, professor's books in our second hour together, in addition to having um, some special, adventurers. Special
0: some ad- in-studio guests who are adventurers. adventurers. Yes. Mm.
1: So we're going to be taking a brief break, are we not?
0: We are. And uh, thank you for listening to the first part of today's two-part program. You can catch the podcast if you need to run off. We will be posting a two-part Podcast today at kucitalk.org. And this is KUCI in Irvine, the best radio station in the history of Middle Earth. And I would ask the elf to give us her traditional parting phrase
1: Ellen Amenti Amentielvo, my friend, a star shines on the hour of our meeting.
0: It's just so wonderful to be with you every week. I've been doing this <laughs> now for a year and a half of your more than five year, almost five and a half years, and it's just been such a privilege. It's been such a present that I'm thankful for.
1: A present that I'm thankful for, too.
0: So uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening, and yes. get ready for part two after we play some music and then have some announcements.
1: Last <laughs> Beth KUCI. Namaria.